I know that most of you guys are aware of this, that we're going through the book of Exodus, so um, you know where to go already, but if, if, it's, if you're visiting, you're not sure, we're in the book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, chapter 29, and then once you find chapter 29, um, just kind of scan down to about verse 38. We, uh, we did all of, ch- or up to, ch- uh, excuse me, verse 37, 38 uh, last week, and Tonight what we're going to do is finish chapter 29. I had every intention of going into chapter 30, finishing chapter 30, but I was just telling Pastor Steve that every time I sat down to study this week, it was this last paragraph or so in chapter 29 where I felt the Holy Spirit um, just had a word for us tonight. And I'm learning. I'm not there yet, but I'm learning to just listen and stop trying to ramrod my my thing through and just let the Holy Spirit do His work. So we're just going to focus in on a smaller chunk tonight. Okay, with that having been said, um, I just want to read it all together and then go back and kind of break it apart and then really just land on what I think is um, a simple but important application for tonight. So follow with me. This is Exodus chapter 29, uh, picking up in verse 38. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs, a year old, day by day, regularly. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. And with the first lamb, a tenth measure of fine flour mingled with a fourth of a hen, which is a unit of measurement, of beaten oil, and a fourth of a hen of wine for a drink offering. The other lamb you shall offer at twilight and shall offer with it a grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning for a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Verse 42, it shall be a regular or continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord where I will meet with you to speak to you there. And there I will meet with the people of Israel, and it shall be sanctified by my glory. Verse 44, I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar. Aaron also and his sons I will consecrate to serve me as priests. And I will dwell among the people of Israel, and I will be their God. Verse 46, and they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord, their God. Father, just reading it again for me, we sense the life embedded in your word, Lord, that this is like no other so-called holy book, but this really is a holy book living and powerful, goes right to our souls, goes right to the division between soul and spirit and discerning of intents of the heart and washes us and heals us and instructs us. And and so, Lord, we want to pray that the seed of your word tonight would drop into tilled up and soil, uh, the soil of our heart would be tilled up and ready, I should say, to receive the seed of your word and to bear fruit in our lives. We don't want to just take this in and let it 
die, Lord, we want it to come into our life and produce fruit that our lives would look like what your word says. And so in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. My family and I have a, a uh, family friends, kind of, kind of more acquaintances, more of Josh's friend growing up. But um, their oldest son is actually one of the top-tier cornerbacks in the NFL right now. Plays for the Buffalo Bills. And, uh, but we like him anyway. Um, he wasn't good enough to be a Ram. But no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, but he's, uh, he's one of the, the cornerbacks for the, um, the Bills. And um, I was strolling through my Twitter feed this, today, and I saw a little video they had posted. And basically it was... He and uh, he was just kind of with some of his other D-back guys, defensive backs, and it was before a game, and they're slapping each other and high-fiving and jumping up and down, and like just, you know, it's all mic'd up, and they're like, let's go, you know, they're just getting all foamed up the mouth, you know, and, and then the caption that he, he posted with that video was, I hate to tell these guys it's only a preseason game. But see, that's the, that's the point of what he, he was getting at, is that, to those guys, it didn't matter that it was a preseason game. You know why? Because they don't care. It's like they're going to give that intensity the same way if it's a preseason game, and they're going to give that intensity whether it's a playoff game because their heart is all in. I did a lot of coaching in my career, 12-year-olds, baseball. I looked, I wanted kids that heart was in it. And, and, you know, I think it's probably true on every level of the game, uh, whatever sport, whatever it is, uh, from little kids, probably all the way up into the NFL, I don't know, or the MLB. I, I think coaches probably look for men, women in that sport, whatever the sport may be, whose heart is all in, maybe even above just raw talent. Does that make sense? Because when your heart's all in, there's a passion. There's a, it, it's, it's not, doesn't mean you're always perfect doesn't mean you don't fumble doesn't I'm sticking with the football analogy doesn't mean that you don't mess up but when your heart is all in when the passion is there man that can go a long long way and I tend to think and I tend to believe and I believe the scriptures very much back this up that God is after our hearts that he wants men, he wants women whose heart is all in. Does it mean we're perfect? No. Does it mean we don't fumble? No, of course we do. But the point is, is that God wants all of us. Amen? And that's been a running theme for like two or three or four weeks in my life. And, it, and I think it keeps bubbling up into the studies that I'm in. Um, but I think the scriptures bear that out. When Jesus was asked what the number one commandment was in the Bible, he said, to love the Lord your God with 51% of your heart. Is that what he said? The greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The Bible says trust in the Lord with all your heart. The Bible says that, that God is in heaven looking. His eyes are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts are wholly his. Caleb was a man in the Old Testament who was wholly, wholeheartedly following after God. And the list goes on and on. David, a man after God's own heart. It, it, it's a matter 
of the heart. And the rebuke that he had towards, God, towards his people was often, these people honor me with their mouth, but their heart is far from me. And I'm starting with that little poof because I just really believe that again tonight, it might be one of those things where we say, Lord, where's my heart? Where's my heart tonight? Where's your heart? And so that's where this is, we're going to start here, and like I've been doing recently, it seems like we're going to come back to that. But let's get there via the text and see why I'm getting at that, why I start with that. Now, um, I told you already we went through chapter 29. We're, of course, in this section where um, Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. Um, literally, when he gets done, he's going to have a hard copy, literally a hard copy of, of the Ten Commandments written with the finger of God. But he's also coming down with all of these instructions for the tabernacle and the priesthood. And that's what we've been dealing with in the last couple of chapters, this idea of the priesthood. For the bulk of chapter 29, it has been these instructions for what will be like this week-long consecration ceremony to kind of inaugurate the priests into their holy service for the Lord. Does that make sense? It was just the instructions. They haven't done it yet. We'll see that happen later. But Moses has received the instructions for what will be a seven-day-long consecration ceremony for the priests. Now, <clears throat> the word consecration, it literally just means to make holy, it, to set apart. So it was like this big, formal like production of like these are my men and it involved all kinds of stuff like um, washings and clothings and and anointings and very detailed sacrifices and, and and so that's kind of where we left it but interestingly enough as the chapter closes out the bulk of it is describing that ceremony but really it's funny because at the end of the chapter the end of this little instruction to, to Moses is talking about what's going to happen after that week is over. What happens after that week is over? Well, what was going to happen after the week is over? Well, we're told in essence, basically, verse 38 and following, that this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs a year old, day by day, regularly, a lamb in the morning, a lamb at twilight. With those lambs, I'm just kind of summarizing here, a tenth measure of flour mingled with a fourth hint of oil and mingled with wine for a drink offering, um, and then the twilight repeat of the morning offering. And so um, what he's saying is, in verse 42 is really the kicker. Look at what it says with me. This is going to be, or it shall be, a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. So after that week-long consecration ceremony, which, by the way, included... A burnt offering. God then instructs them, this is what you're going to do after that. Every day, throughout all your generations, you're going to offer two lambs. One in the morning, one in the evening. One in the morning, one in the evening. Now with that, there would be like the flour and this oil and like a drink offering, wine that would be poured on top of it. But every morning, morning after Morning after evening after morning after evening after morning, every day throughout all your generations. For what purpose? Verse 42. It will be a continual or regular burnt offering to the Lord. Now the reason I'm, I'm 
accentuating this or pausing here because I was thinking a lot about this. Like, now, now wait a minute. Hold on. I thought we already did the burnt offering. I mean, what was that whole week celebration, ceremony, consecration bit all about? Wasn't there a burnt offering there? Now, now we're, why are we doing all these subsequent, regular burnt offerings after that? Because what was the burnt offering? I know I, I mentioned it last week, but just to jog our memory, this is Leviticus chapter 1, goes into great detail of what a burnt offering was. If you don't know, there's different kinds of offerings that were prescribed that you would bring for certain occasions. A sin offering, a peace offering. This is a, called a burnt offering. Now what's unique about the burnt offering, like I mentioned last week, I know I mentioned it, I'm not losing my memory, I, I, I realize that I mentioned it. What's unique about the burnt offering is that instead of offering part of it to God and holding back part of it, which would communicate, God, you get half of this, we get half of this. As I'm eating it, it's as if you're eating it and we're fellowshipping together. And there, that was kind of the, the vibe. Instead of that, a burnt offering was unique in that you just put the entire offering up onto the altar and the whole dang thing was just up in smoke. Now, part of that would be they would lay their hands on it. It would be killed. But what the burnt offering communicated, now listen, this isn't complicated, it's simple, but it's important. What the burnt offering communicated was just like that animal is being completely consumed with the fires of the altar. That's what I want my life to be, God, unto you. Does that make sense? Just like none of that animal was held back for personal use, I'm holding none of my life back either, God. I'm giving it all in complete surrender and consecration and dedication to you. And that's why I believe it says over and again that to God, the burnt offering was a sweet-smelling aroma because he would smell that barbecue in a sense, the, the smoke. It's figurative, but in a sense, not that I'm saying he, his nostrils actually smelled the smoke. You know what I'm saying? But when he saw that, smelled that, saw the heart of the people that brought that, he went, that's sweet. That is sweet. That is good. That is pleasing to me. But the question is, if they already brought the burnt offering, why in the world do they got to keep bringing more burnt offerings? And not just like one a day, two a day. <laughs> because guys, this is why. Because this is how it works. It's just how it works. You fast forward into the, what, what? Because that's how it works. You can quote me on that. So fast forward into a New Testament application. I already, already went over this last week. I, I know I'm not bringing any new stuff, but listen, when Paul, and I believe with all my heart that when Paul in Romans 12 said, 
I beseech you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as living sacrifices, which is your reasonable act of spiritual worship. When he said that in Romans 12, referring to all that God had done for them that he talked about in the first 11 chapters, he said the most reasonable thing you can do is offer your body, your life, completely to God. Not like a dead sacrifice. God's not interested in dead sacrifices anymore. He wants living sacrifices. He wants lives that are lived for him in complete dedication to him. Amen? Now, what's interesting is the language of Romans 12. What I mean by that is the, the Greek word where it says, offer or present your body as a living sacrifice. The language there connotates in the Greek, I'm told and I read. I'm not a Greek scholar. But it has this, this feeling of finality. In other words, a once and for all offering. Like the Romans 12 thing is you come and you realize all that God has done for you and you bow your knee before him and you say, God, with all of my heart for the rest of my life, I give my life to you in total dedication. That's the heart behind it. But how many of you guys know that even after that, there has to be subsequent days, sometimes twice a day, where we come back to God and say, God, I want to re-give you my life. Why? Because though we meet it and though it's real, we fail and we mess up and we veer off. And guys, this is why it's so, this is so, so, so encouraging to me that God provided a way where he said, look, that's cool. Just come back every morning and every evening and just do it again. I love that. You know, I want to start with this. There needs to be for every believer, and sometimes it happens simultaneously with conversion, but oftentimes it doesn't. It didn't in my case. There needs to be for every believer where Jesus becomes not only your Savior, but he becomes the Lord of your life. Where there is a willful laying down of your life, the rights to your life, the direction of your life, the choices in your life, all of your life, where you say, I'm giving you all of me and you are my Lord. There needs to be that moment in the life of every single believer. But even after we do that, and by the way, for me, that was like right around 17 years old. I got saved when I was 10. And you may say, are you 10 years old? No, I knew what I was doing at 10 years old. I was born again at 10 years old. I was filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit at 12 years old. But really, it wasn't until I was about 17 years old that there was a moment in my life where I said, and, and maybe it was a kind of a, a, a few weeks or strung together, but there was a season in my life where I was like, Lord, I am giving you my life. I had experienced uh, this missions trip where God had met me in a real way. One of my close friends in high school committed suicide. I had... Um, this girlfriend that, you know, it may sound silly now, but she was very important to me at the time and dropped me like a bad habit. I'm not bitter about it. I'm over it. I don't need any counseling or anything. I'm over it. Anyways, so he was Conan the Barbarian. Who knew? Um, but those things all together rocked my life. My life felt so upside down, and I felt as though there was this decision-making point in my life where I could go one of two directions, and I could go off and just be like, screw it all, I'm just going to go off and do my thing. Or I could say, I want to run after God, 
And by his grace, it's not because I'm such a great guy, by his grace, he drew me to himself. And I, I remember the moment, uh, one of the moments in my room, uh, 971 Amber Drive, Camarillo, California, looking up at my ceiling and saying, I want to be a man of God. That was my prayer. I want to be a man of God. And I'm sorry for this, and I repent of that, and I want to be all in God. And guess what? I meant it. Did I live it out perfectly? No. You know what I found? That there has been many, many, many times in my life where I have to come back to God and say, God, I need to re-up on that. I need to re-surrender because I thought I surrendered this area of my life. I really didn't. And maybe I did, but I took it back. And I've been disobedient over here, and I've done and I just want to re-up on this. This is so encouraging to me. I, I was walking... My wife and I, we love to take walks and pray and talk and just talk about life and whatever. And, and um, we were praying, and I was telling her about this. I was like, I'm reading this thing. And I was like, trip out on this, Regina. Like, think about this. How many lambs had to die? Like, just a lot of blood. You know, like, this is, this kind of, didn't this get old after? Like, every morning, every evening, every morning. But I'll tell you what, it blessed. It, this to me is such a huge blessing. It's become very personal, personable to me this week because I found myself having to do this. I mean, it's only Wednesday, and I'm talking about this week's been this so hard. It's only Wednesday. <laughs> but so far, at least two of the days out of this week where I've woke up and I've done the morning sacrifice where, God, I'm all yours, I'm all in, lead my day. Yeah. But I'll tell you, by the end of the afternoon, I feel like I've sinned. My attitudes have sucked. I've willfully done some things, thought some things, gone there in my mind or just been moody or disobedient. Or, and, 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 I, and I just get to come back in the evening and say, Lord, I want to give you my life again. And what I love about this, guys, it's not like God was like, well, you're going to have to do this every morning and every evening because you're going to blow it every day, and I guess I'll just accept it. It's not like that. It's, it's like God's saying, it's not like he's saying, oh, you're back again, Jason? What are you going to do? Give me your life again? That's how we react. That's not how God reacts. He says, I'm so proud of you, son. I'm glad you recognize that. Of course we can start over. Of course we can start fresh. That smells good to me, Jason, that you're doing that. This has been for me a lifesaver this week, that I don't have to live and dwell on my failures of the day, that even if I started out well, if I tanked at the end of the day, God says, that's all right, come to me tonight. Let's start over. It's very, it's very encouraging to me. I hope it's encouraging to you as well. But it's also very challenging to me, and this is where really my heart was broken in a good way today, and, and I just want to challenge you with this. Maybe it's Maybe it's a challenge for you too, but when we talk about this idea of a burnt offering and giving God our life in total dedication, that's because that's what God wants. You know, maybe the New Testament equivalent to this daily morning and evening offering might be, I don't know, I suggest for you maybe, Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus says this, if anybody wants to come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross daily, and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits himself? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory 
in the glory of the Father and the holy angels. I've read that a thousand times in my life. But man, it hit me this last couple days. Jesus said, if you want to come after me, if you want to be a follower of me, this is what it looks like. You have to every day, daily, take up your cross and follow me. The cross, of course, is the instrument that, that, that was used to kill Jesus. The cross communicates death. We're so used to that lingo right now in our Christian, but that, that was so like abrasive to their ears when Jesus must have first said that because it was not even polite conversation to bring up a cro the crucifixion because it was so horrible and disgusting. And Jesus was in essence saying, I'm going there, and if you want to follow me and be a Jesus follower, every day you need to pick up your cross and follow me. The Christian life is one of daily denial of self, forfeiting of our rights, laying down of our wants, and in wholeheartedness, no matter what the cost, with reckless abandon, we follow Jesus. That's heavy. You know, he said it, he repeated, this is kind of, in one shape or form, you know, repeated in the Gospels, in Mark 10, 38, he says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He says in, later in Luke chapter 14, 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, listen to this, cannot be my disciple. If you don't take up your cross and die to yourself and you're all in, that's, then you're not really my disciple. That's heavy. You know, we live in this... Um, live your best life now mentality in the church. But Jesus' version of that is, no, the best life you can live now is die. Die. Die to yourself. Die to your wants. Die to your dreams. Die to your rights that you think you have. And full on, pick up your cross and follow me. Now, here's the caveat. This is where it's like the oxymoron, you know, like flip-flop is that he says because he says if you actually seek to gain your life in this life if you live the self-life and chase your happiness and live for you you'll actually never experience life he says but here's the kicker if you die and just go hard after me you're actually going to experience life now in a way that you could never imagine and eternal life later amen it's not about you, and it's not about me. It's not about our happiness. It's not about our life. It's about Jesus, and it's about the kingdom of God. And what it looks like to be a Christian is absolutely laying down your rights, not saying, well, I have the right to do this, and I can do that, and it's all about me. Well, then don't be a Jesus follower. Because Jesus followers are evidently supposed to live a life of total surrender, reckless abandonment. And that may sound negative, but Jesus was quick to say, no, this is where you're actually going to find life in giving yourself away instead of living for yourself. Amen? Paul said, interesting, Philippians chapter 2, 17, he says something to the effect of, I am ready to be poured out as a drink offering upon the altar or the offering of your service unto you, something like that. He draws on this, just like the morning and evening offering was made, there was a drink offering just poured on it. He likens that to his ministry and says, I'll pour my life out for you. I'll serve you. I'll die to myself. He talks about being spent, you know, you know just completely giving himself over 
in service to the Lord. Does anybody think that Paul regrets any of that? Does anybody think Paul's in heaven like, dang it, man, I wish I would have served Jesus so much. Man, there is never going to be a regret for all in for Jesus. Is there? We're not going to be like, man, I wish I wouldn't have given so much to missions. I could have got a new iPhone. God. I wish I wouldn't have spent so much time at church. I could have been watching Netflix, bro. I wish I wouldn't have, you know, and, and I, that's not to be like a guilt gotcha or anything like that. It's just like sometimes we need like a little dang perspective, right? Oh, Lord. Hey, guys, and I'm not wagging my finger at you. I'm just talking about us together as a church. I'm challenged by this. I'm challenged that Jesus said stuff like this. Like, you got to daily pick up your cross and follow me. And to follow me means you deny self and lay down your life. And guys, I think Jesus is looking for disciples like that. Amen? So on one hand, it's so encouraging because I can come in the morning, yeah, I'm all in, Lord, but by 3 o'clock, I'm like, oh, I blew it. Jesus is like, that's all right. Come on back. Re-up. And I said, Lord, I, I want to do it again. I want to give you my life again. He goes, that's sweet. That smells so good. But make no mistake about it. He's after your heart. This is what it looks like to be a Christian. It's not about living the self-life. It's not about happiness as your God. It's not about, the, it's about pouring your life out in, in obedience. It means when he says something wrong, you say, okay, it's wrong. If he says, you go here, oh, okay, I go here. It means you don't make unilateral decisions about your life anymore. You don't decide where, to go, where you go to school. You don't decide who you marry. You don't decide who, where you live. You say, those are things my Lord takes care of. I am nothing but his servant. I'm all his. Well, that's kind of radical. Boom! I was going to say bingo and boom, and it came out boom. <laughs> now, let me end on this. Let me end on this. This is all important. Our, well, let me start it this way maybe. The burnt offering for us or the surrender and the full dedication of ourselves to him is all in response to his full dedication to us. You see, the burnt offering application for us is secondary because he's actually, Jesus is actually the first fulfillment of the burnt offering picture. What do I mean? Jesus fully, fully gave himself and denied himself and laid down himself in full obedience to the will of the Father. It was Jesus that sweat drops of blood, maybe pounding the rock and just gripping it and bleeding out his forehead and stomach tight saying, Father, if there's any other way, don't make me do this. But nonetheless, not my will. Your will be done. Jesus gave it all for us on the cross. And our full surrender to him is simply in response to his full surrender to the Father's will and to die on that cross on behalf of us. And I think that if we were there and we were able to stand and behold, our, our mouths would drop open. If we knew what we knew now and we were able to go back and watch what was happening and see Jesus on the cross, there would be this awesome drinking in of the magnitude of what he's doing 
as we see Jesus bleeding in Gethsemane, surrendering his will, willfully laying out his hands for the, the guards to shackle him while his best friends ditch him, hauled him before a mock trial, an illegal gathering of the Sanhedrin, as the rulers bring false accusations against him, and he's, there he is, not defending himself, not saying a word. Boom, they punch him, not reacting, not reviling back. Taken to Pilate, falsely accused. Taken in and arrested, and if we were able to watch as they put a bag over his head and smacked him and hit him and grabbed a handful of his beard and ripped it out and he would say nothing. And say somebody took the energy and the time and effort to, to make a crown of thorns and then beat it into his skull with a stick. Put a robe on him and spin him around and say, oh, hail, king of the Jews! And then rip it off, stretch his back out, and with one lash after another, with a cat of nine tails, remove the flesh from his back, from the top of his neck to the bottom of his thighs. There wasn't 40 lashes or 39 lashes. That was, that was Jewish law. Roman law, it was at will of the executor. They would just go until they felt it was time to stop. Silently strapped to the post. And then robed with a purple robe, mocked some more as best he could, carrying the cross of shame as long as he could, finally having to be helped, laying down willingly because it was Jesus who said, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down myself and I will take it up again. This is what the Father told me. And they, he, Jesus let them drive spikes through his wrists. Jesus let them drive spikes through his feet and they lifted him up and he hung there being tortured in the hot sun while they walked around him and they made fun of him and he wasn't hung real high like you see in the the storybooks and stuff like that crosses were low eye level for the intent and purpose that passers-by could spit in your face as they walked by and they mocked him he didn't say anything you saved others, save yourself. Come off the cross. Do you guys understand that he could have come off the cross? How thankful I am that he did not come off the cross. He could have called on legions of angels. He resisted. No. Didn't say a word, didn't say a word, didn't say a word. They mocked him, they spit at him, and he just, well, I take that back. He finally opened his mouth. And he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When we consider Jesus, when we consider the cross, which is why we gather, isn't it? It's why we do communion. It's why we gather. It's why we study the Bible. It's to consider Jesus. And we never want to get too far away from the cross. We don't, we want to keep that right in our peripheral. We want to keep an eye on that and think about it often like we're doing tonight because when we see Jesus, knowing what we know, that he's God, he's innocent, he's perfect, he's clean, I'm the dirty one, I'm the rebellious one, I should be getting that, he's doing it for me. And when we get that again, nobody has to say, now surrender your life to Jesus and go live for him. We throw ourselves at his feet. Amen. We throw ourselves at his feet. We say, of course I'll serve you. Of course I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to hold back part of my life after you've done that. No, I'll give you most of my life, but I'll be in control of my money. 
When you die for me on the cross? Do you understand what I'm saying? It's all response. It's all response. It's all response. It's a reasonable act of spiritual worship. Amen? Amen. So there, there was the initial and then the subsequent. And that's how it is for us. So my question tonight as we, as we wrap up is this. Simple application, really. Number one is this. Has there been a moment in your life, and, and I'm assuming you're a Christian. I want to talk to you as Christians. Have you had that moment yet? That consecration ceremony, so to speak, that initial Romans 12, 1, where you have audibly, intently, and purposefully verbalize to God that you are with all your heart and by his grace, not that you work up the willpower. I'm not ta- that's not what we're talking about. But we're just saying, God, as messed up as my heart and my life is with all the faith I can scrape together, I'm giving it to you. I am going to be yours. Have you done that? Have you let go of the rights of your life? Have you let go of your life and just said, Lord, it's not my life anymore. Be my Lord. Have you done that? If you haven't, it certainly doesn't work if a pastor cohorts you, twists your arm. You got to do it out of a personal response to Jesus. But I want to encourage you, if you've never done that initial surrender of making Jesus your Lord, why don't you do that tonight? But I think for a lot of us, what, what it is tonight is, oh, we've done that, but it's been more than a morning and an evening since we've redone that. I mean, how realistic is it now? Ah, oh, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, but is he? Is he your Lord? I mean, I, I'm not questioning that you love God. I'm not questioning that you're saved. I'm just saying, is it still, re- is it still real? I mean, is, is that still a reality? I mean, it was five years ago when you first did it, but... Would you say that tonight it's still as real as it was then? Or, or, or would you just want to gracious, just grab onto his gracious provision of saying, just come again? How many of us tonight, for lack of a better word, need to re-up, re-surrender, recommit? Not out of a, this is what good Christians do. You understand what I'm saying? Out of, I am so blown away by what Jesus did for me and who he is, I can't help but not give my life to him. Amen? That's what, that's what I think God's after. And so let's, let's stop there. Let's just let's pray this in. What good is it if we just talk about it? Let's do it. So tonight, and here's what I'm going to do. If you're here tonight and you just say, um, I want to make that initial commitment. Not, I don't even know if I like the word commitment, but more of just like surrender. With all the faith you have, I'm not saying you're perfect. No one is under false pretense that we're going to be perfect in ourselves. It's by God's grace. But from our heart, we're saying, I want to give myself and I want to make Jesus my Lord. If that's you, just stand up right now, right? Right where you're at, stand up. If you want to just make that initial, like, God, you're, you're my Savior. And then with that also, if you're like, I want to, it's been a while. And I know in my heart, this is for me, and I need to, I want to make him my Lord again. Uh, I did it this morning, but I got to do it again tonight. Or I did it five years ago, but I need to do it tonight because I want him to be my Lord. I don't want you to stand up unless you need to stand up, unless it's, unless it's your heart to stand up. 
Why are you making us stand up? Because if you can't stand up in church and say, I want to live for Jesus, how in the world are you going to stand up out there and say you want to live for Jesus when you're surrounded by people that are cheering you on and love you and are with you? Amen? So let's pray. Can we just bow our heads for a moment? Here's the thing. I can lead in a prayer, but unless you pray, I can't pray for you, right? For those who want to make this, just, just say, Lord, you're my Lord. Maybe it's the first time you've ever said those words. Maybe you're a Christian, but you've never really made him your Lord. And to the best of your ability, you just want to lay your life at his feet, whatever that means. If that's you, maybe lift your hand up to the Lord. And I want to pray right now over my brothers and my sisters that are just surrendering to you, Lord. It's not out of obligation. It is out of response, not responsibility. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus right now, you would just, in a sense, breathe that in. Let it be a sweet-smelling offering to you. And I pray, God, that, Lord, as we deny ourselves and make you our Lord and follow hard after you, it may seem weird to the world, but, Lord, thank you that we're going to experience the true inner life that you promise in that. Show us where we need to give over specific things. And now, Lord, I want to pray for all the rest of us who say, no, I've done that, but I need to do it again. If you need to do it again, raise your hand up to the Lord and say, and say Lord, I want to give you my life again out of response for what you've done for me. I pray right now, Lord, we would be those fully given to you. And now, guys, right now in the privacy of your own heart, you pray. Pray out loud in a whisper, just between, just loud enough to where you and God are talking and the person next to you can't really understand what you're saying, but vocalize it, say it, you talk to God about you and your life and your situation right now. Lord, we love you and we just praise you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord God, that when we surrender our lives to you, we're not really giving up anything. We're gaining everything. And Father, I want to pray that you would make this a reality in our lives that, Lord, as we turn our back on the self-life and live after you, Lord, that we would experience the fullness of life and joy that you promised, even if it gets hard. And, Father, I pray that you would take imperfect people with imperfect hearts that are just surrendering to you, and you would flip this island upside down for Jesus. Do a work through us. Here we are, Lord. Send us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hug three people and you're dismissed. God bless you guys.